0: Hello. May you live in interesting times is the famous Chinese curse. Well, alongside war and pestilence, investors have more prosaic curses as well. Soaring inflation, slowing growth and a very tricky path for policymakers to forge. Fidelity's Global Chief Investment Officer, Andrew McCaffrey, joins me for his thoughts on the storms ahead and where shelter may lie. Listen on to find out more. Andrew, welcome to you. Hello, Richard. Good to see you again. Um, Well, let's start in China, where growth is slowing. Second quarter growth was only 0.4%, down from 4.8% in the first quarter. So quite a remarkable drop there. Covid lockdowns and supply chain problems are the contributing factors, of course. Andrew, those numbers were worse than expected. And as a result, I have to ask you, are you worried?
1: I'm not, because I think it's something that we clearly thought the bias of risk would be for a a weak um, second quarter, because of all the issues that we had, obviously linked to COVID, but also still the way in which that uh, acted as a very strong um, headwind to all of the stimulative activity that was uh, building. So um, I don't think it's a concern looking back to that number. I think what's important now is that the measures put in place the degree to which they flow through as we come into Q3 and into um, uh, Q4 of the year. And I do feel that a couple of things to to build on that really have changed that, um, you know, lot of concern about the property market currently, but interestingly it's not because of the inability to to pay on the mortgage um payment front, but a choice not to because of concerns around what's happening to to be an hour to get um you know properties and for uh, uh, how developers are able to deliver on their uh, their promises but underlying this is that we already have provisioning has been taking place in uh, the banks, That restructuring of debt, restructuring of companies and purchases of companies for the move from weak to strong hands have been taking place. And I think a very important pragmatic shift by the authorities in the second quarter to look to stimulate growth and to think about how they get the economy going is still very much the the play that um, is important as we look through the second half of the year.
0: Okay, so um, disappointing economic numbers, but structurally behind it, you're you're taking comfort from some of the Action that they've taken to um, to sort things out in the uh, in, in various parts of the economy, um, and then the policy measures, the stimulus um, that uh, that might come through to follow.
1: Yes, and in some ways, arguably that with growth having been uh, you know on the weak side of expectations, and that they still have very firmly a target that's looking for five percent plus growth, however challenging that may be to hit, they're certainly going to try and make sure that they can get close to that. They can generate um, the economic activity that they want during the second half of the year. So the risk is actually it biases more towards ongoing um, greater levels of stimulus and trying to get the economy uh, running at a higher level of activity. And I think that, you know, what's really interesting when you relay it back into markets, obviously, you know, capitulations felt very strong um, through worries on sanctions, the broader economic uh, concerns, and also what we saw around liquidity for ADRs moving from the US back to, you know, Hong Kong to be traded, uh, all sort of made a perfect storm. The market has recovered from that, as I think it looks towards towards a more dynamic and also more pragmatic approach that will be stimulative for the economy. And also that, you know, we're starting to see signs of that flowing through in different uh, levels of activity in the, the economy and the approach to COVID, that it's more trying to manage restrictions than rather than explicit lockdown and really shutting off activity. And I think the markets have taken that well and that we will see, you know, bouts of uncertainty, which will give us opportunities to actually um, get back into the the market for what I think will be a much more favourable environment as we look through to 2023.
0: Okay, thank you. Well, let's um, turn to the US now. And Fidelity's macro team is a bit more pessimistic than consensus on when a recession might hit. So I presume that you think that the surge in the dollar that we've seen this year is uh, is going to top out. Yes, yeah, so
1: I think these things ultimately will be connected, um, and that you know part of it also is the policy approach that we've seen. Because if you look at the the US uh, growth profile, we potentially will have a technical recession because Q2 looks like it's going to be negative as well. The difficulty is that the structural nature of of that is so different to what we've seen in the past because of some of these constraints around you know, supply chain and goods being um, uh, you know, available, the way in which we've seen the dynamics of, of inventories being, being built. And yet within this, we've still seen remarkable consumer resilience, despite obviously challenges um, uh, more on the fiscal front as we've come out and um, post that uh, very high stimulus that we've had over uh, you know, 2021. So the dynamics looking forward, it strikes that although that resilient consumer is, uh, has been impressive in keeping um, certainly the economy running at um, uh, you know, high levels uh, to, to date, or at least supporting it, is that that at some stage already we've seen elements of Demand impact, and when you look at obviously how mortgage rates have moved uh, house market is starting to um, and has rolled over to an extent when we look at um, uh, you know now signs of forward looking indicators such as hiring plans starting to turn down, jobless claims having been uh, you know somewhat higher than uh, expected in the last uh, few weeks, we think that the chances are that you will have that flow through into a more uh, you know broad um, level of downturn for the, the US economy. It's just the timing of uh, of that. And that's really, I think, for the markets, where we've got at the moment this sort of interesting battle of narratives. The market had moved to discount a degree of slowdown to mild recession. Arguably, um, in equity markets, to a lesser degree in credit markets, the challenge is that will they now have a desire to look for soft landing and a Fed pivots as they move from inflationary pressures peaking out in the short term and that giving the ability to uh, to pivot towards the signs of that growth that just also um, have turned down more than uh, they would like. And that's what the market, I think, is trying to really sort of seek out and, um, uh, and think as a possibility. The reality is we feel that that will be no more than an interim sort of you know, battle of, uh, of views around that soft landing view that ultimately is going to give way to um, a more challenging uh, environment than just a, uh, you know, a very happy soft landing.
0: So hope springs eternal, um, but you're dashing those um, those hopes. You think that we are going to hit a hard landing? Uh,
1: I think that um, one, yes, we are. Uh, two, how much and, and how that feeds through... Uh, You know, all sectors of the US economy is a challenging one to call at the moment, but we see that the bias of risk, as I said, is that the consumer challenges are growing. They they aren't going away. The inflationary pressures will come off uh, to a degree as we look through the next few months. I think that's important, going back to your question about the dollar, because I think if the Fed shows signs of pivoting, you know, growth being weaker. What we're also seeing is obviously, uh, you know, elements of other central banks starting to tighten policy, that some of the differential that's been driving it, and some of the other concerns that have driven capital to the US are actually starting to abate and certainly will if growth comes off more aggressively. So, I think the dollar is in that process of basically topping out now. um, And that the real challenge is as we roll into um, the uh, beginning of 2023, that that becomes more pronounced.
0: Hello, a quick message. We love making these podcasts and we know you're part of a loyal audience that keeps coming back to listen to them. But podcast audience statistics are a blunt tool. There's only so much the numbers can tell us about what we're already doing and what we might do differently. We've got exciting ideas for some new features and even some new shows, but we want to make sure that we're giving you what you want – Something useful, unique and unforgettable. Maybe there's someone else you'd like to hear from at Fidelity or Beyond or something else you'd like to hear more about. Maybe you've got your own burning questions to ask our guests. Now, our listenership is not in the millions, far from it. But you're an important, intelligent and influential bunch. So it's very likely that your feedback will make a difference. And on top of that, we'll enter you into a prize draw for £250 in Amazon vouchers, or we'll make an equivalent donation to a charity of your choice. What's not to like? We've made it easy for you. All you have to do is click on the link we've put in the podcast description, and that'll take you to a short survey. Or you can go directly to fidelityinternational.com forward slash survey. And the survey and prize draw close on September the 10th. We're really, really keen to hear from you and to learn more about what makes you tick. So please do tell us. Go to the survey link in the description on your podcast app or visit fidelityinternational.com forward slash survey. Can't wait to hear from you. We're recording this the day after the European Central Bank hiked rates by 50 basis points, um, its first rise in uh, in over a, uh, a decade. So they decided to go in uh, <laughs> all guns blazing. And then Mario Draghi, who used to lead the ECB, of course, um, leaving the Italian government of national unity, triggering its collapse. And Italy has got vast national debt. So his departure cast doubt over the commitments that Italy has made um, around those debts. So I mean, there's an awful lot going on in Europe as well, isn't there?
1: Yes, there really is, and um, I think you know when you look at the fears for um, recession uh, uh, around the, the world, then certainly Europe you know sits up there at um, the top because obviously in some of the countries we're also seeing still you know significant challenges around how energy today, but also looking towards um, the, the winter can be managed. We've got political uncertainty, as you said, for Italy. But but generally, it's there that, um, you know, if you look to France and obviously the challenge for um, President Macron, um, you know, having one re-election, but then losing, um, uh, you know, his uh, parliament. And so that will make um, policy a little bit more challenging than um, previously. So you have some dynamics in Europe which don't really, um, you know, help in that sort of fallback of how policy initiatives can, um, uh, you know, move ahead at pace. At the same time that I think the ECB has uh, you know, been very keen to try and um, you know move away from the negative interest rate policy environment um, and you know also aware that they have two big challenges clearly you know growth challenges lie on the horizon whilst inflation pressures also um, you know haven't abated yet, but again, I would say is for the u s that we will see some of that um, uh, abation occur but it it won't be Undermining what I think is still structural risks going forward, you know, through wage-price spirals, through some of the uh, you know uh, building of reindustrialization in many countries that will increase the um, uh, the costs that we see and the inflationary pressures that build. But I think also for the ECB is this whole concept of how they use this fragmentation tool to try and support um, you know the environment where debt has been such a big issue for uh, you know some of the countries such as Italy.
0: Can you very briefly explain the fragmentation tool? It's a defragmentation tool, I suppose. Isn't yes, it? it's an attempt exactly. to try to 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 equalise the um, the pressures that there are across the eurozone.
1: Yes, I mean basically that having drawn back from a lot of their quantitative easing um, focused activity, um, and that being you know corporate and government debts uh, supportive, is that this is trying to ease the burden where spreads widening you know create. Um, negative feedback loops. So the ECB being able to step in and provide support by again, being able to buy, um, you know, debt and to be able to smooth that profile and provide, um, you know, funding that can allow the debt to be uh, bought. And that, you know, is in some ways, it's just another way of trying to ensure that the sort of QE unwind doesn't create a massive, um, uh, you know, repricing too
0: quickly that can be damaging across economic activity. So a stabilizer of sorts. Okay, thank you very much, um, Andrew, for for that context. What I think we'd like to hear now is, um, given things like the normalisation of um, of policy in in Europe, um, amid all of the complicating factors of inflation, we've got gas, we've got all the all the other issues you've been talking about in um, in the US and China as well. How does that all distill? How is it distilled into Fidelity's core asset allocation at the moment?
1: Well, it means that um, you know we uh, continue to have to uh, to think about the the time horizons that these will play out as well, and where markets have uh, discounted uh, you know elements of um, the concerns, or uh, you know still to do that in pricing. And what that means for us at the moment is that you know we're still relatively uh, cautious. And and the challenge is when you look across markets that there is a fragmentation there. You can't um, uh, view it as it's one seamless sort of profile as we've discussed there's many different uh, you know individual country dynamics and so you know for us that uh, you know being a little bit more cautious obviously on the the US um being cautious on Europe especially at this stage um, which means that you know we have to uh, to think about um, where do we take on uh, some of that risk profile within the existing exposure to equities, and that has tended to push us more towards looking to China, to some of the emerging market Asia, where we feel that there's a, a better policy mix and a potential for um, uh, growth from the levels that have been discounted. If we look to credit markets still a bias towards the investment grade area where we think risk adjusted returns are better than um, some of the risks still attached to uh, parts of the high yield market, although again looking to asia it 's interesting to see that obviously you know very um challenging environment for high yield uh, with what 's happening in in the China property concerns, but you know getting back to levels where we think that actually it discounts an enormous amount, and as I said that we are going through the process, so some of the worst is over, and so looking ahead, you want to be slightly more favorable. Um, when you look to currencies, you know, the dollars continue to be um, that safe haven. But as I said, I think now to be starting to think about how that really does start to, um, to change. We look, um, uh, you know, through the second half into twenty twenty three, um, and then maybe the last part is just you know in those cash levels that um, trying to balance, keeping some for um, longer term opportunities and still setbacks that we see over time as opposed to some of the shorter term, um, you know, interim repricing that uh, I touched on. And, you know, overall, that means that we stay relatively um, cautious. We think that uh, one area where you'll see the markets, and it already has been, um, you know, building back a little bit more favorable is that duration. And so yields capping out a little bit at this stage because of the central bank policy being that little bit more hawkish and uh, aggressive now. Um, And the markets, though, uh, really seeking out that that means that the peak um, in this short-term cycle is, um, you know, going to be with us into 2023. And so, you know, yields actually can start to roll over to reflect those uh, growth concerns. And I think that's, again, you know, a trade that you look at more tactically, but can run, uh, you know, somewhat further. And you know, we'll be reviewing that as we um, you know, go through Q3 to see how much mileage that has um, to be able to run as we look at central bank policy and, uh, and data
0: again. Well, Andrew, thank you, as always, for your views. Uh, There's a Rich Pickings podcast to come that's at the end of July before we take a break over the summer. But in the meantime, if you'd like to read any more of the topics discussed today, please head to your local Fidelity website or to fidelityinternational.com. The producers today were Seb Morton-Clark and Holly Eastman with technical support from Alex Wilcox. For now, from me, from Andrew McCaffrey and from all of us at Fidelity, goodbye. This podcast is for investment
1: professionals only and should not be relied upon by private investors. This podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is intended only for the person or entities to which it is sent. It must not be reproduced or circulated to any other party without the prior permission of Fidelity. The value of investments can go down as well as up, so you may get back less than you invest. For other important legal notices, please visit your local Fidelity website.